My name is Mark Beattie and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. In this podcast, I'm going to highlight some of the content from the June issue of the journal. The first article is on depression in chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic fatigue syndrome, defined as three months of disabling fatigue plus at least one additional symptom, persisting after routine tests have failed to identify an underlying cause, is common and it's challenging to manage. More than half of the children and young people are bed-bound at some stage and may miss up to one academic term. Depression's often seen and it can impact on recovery. In this issue, Bold and colleagues report the results of a cross-sectional survey of depression in chronic fatigue syndrome at assessment in a specialist unit. They define depression as greater than 10 on the hospital anxiety and depression score. Depression was found to be significant and present in 29% of 542 referrals. The authors then sub-analyse this data by gender, school attendance, level of fatigue, level of pain and anxiety, all of which on univariate analysis are risk factors. It's interesting, however, that on multivariate analysis, the strongest predictor was disease severity, with lower levels of disability associated with lower levels of depression. This is important because it didn't relate on multivariate analysis to disease duration, for example. The authors discuss this. They discuss the importance of assessing and treating depression and the importance of recognising that it's the severity of the illness, i.e. the level of functioning, rather than the duration of symptoms that is the most important risk factor. The second article that I would like to highlight relates to cow's milk allergy in infancy. So, we all know that the prevalence of cow's milk allergy is highly variable in different reported series, with different criteria for diagnosis, and under- and over-reporting. In this issue, Elisa and colleagues take a systemised approach to this by investigating infants with any possible adverse reaction to milk, 381 infants from a large prospective cohort using strict diagnostic criteria including skin prick testing and oral challenge. The results are of considerable interest. So after the initial evaluation, 66 of the 381 had IgE-mediated cow's allergy. 36 had food protein-induced enterocolitis. 21 had cow's milk protein-associated rectal bleeding, and 15 other symptoms for which cow's milk protein could not be excluded as a trigger. It's interesting, therefore, that cow's milk allergy was excluded in 243 by this rigorous combination of history, examination, investigation and challenge. So this is a large group of mislabeled cow's milk allergy presenting in infancy. That subgroup was analysed further and it was found that they were infants that tended to present earlier, have single organ involvement and higher maternal and paternal education. The authors rightly highlight the importance of objectively and rigorously diagnosing cow's milk allergy in infancy. The third article to highlight relates to pain in young people with cerebral palsy. So we know that pain is very prevalent in young people with cerebral palsy, heterogeneous and difficult to assess, 
and associated with lower subjective well-being and reduced participation. There are many potential causes including spasms, hip subluxation, contractures, pain at operative sites, therapeutic interventions and gastrostomy tubes. Feeding can be uncomfortable and functional pain is likely to be at least as common as in the general population. In this issue, Parkinson and colleagues report data on behalf of SPARKLE, that's the study of participation of children with cerebral palsy living in Europe. And they report on the prevalence, sight and severity and frequency of pain in young people aged 13 to 17 by self and parent report. In the study group, 75% reported that they had experienced some pain in the last week, moderate to severe in 25%. 40% had experienced leg pains, 34% headache, 26% stomach pains and 45% reported pain during physiotherapy. Pain was more likely to be reported in girls than boys and more common in the non-ambulant and in young people in whom emotional issues measured by strengths and difficulty questionnaire were present. This is a really interesting data set and I'd commend you as the listener to work carefully through it. The authors discuss the importance of assessing pain in young people with cerebral palsy, emphasising the multifactorial etiology and the significant potential impact of it. This has important implications for the management of young people with cerebral palsy, including during transition, as these issues are likely to persist into adult life. The fourth article I'd like to highlight this month relates to poverty, maltreatment and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, another common condition impacting on many thousands of children with a multifactorial and poorly understood etiology. So, in a leading article, Ellsworth Webb separates children for whom the development of ADHD is largely genetically driven from those who have a phenocopy of ADHD as a result of adverse early childhood experiences, with the prevalence of the latter group being heavily skewed towards children living with poverty and violence. So phenocopy is when individuals exhibit a phenotype that appears identical to that found in others who have a linked genotype, but do not possess this genotype themselves. The crossover is described as a third group, that is those with a high genetic risk exposed to poverty and violence. There are other factors, epigenetics, such as preterm birth and in-uterine environment. The author discusses the complexities of these different factors and their interrelation and impact on each other in detail with a strong emphasis on such factors as domestic violence, childhood maltreatment and how different subgroups respond to treatments including stimulants. So ADHD is common and complex and clearly if we better understand the condition we can better tailor the treatment to the individual sufferer with the potential thereby to improve outcomes longer term. I'd like to finish this podcast by highlighting content in education and practice this month, including Dermatophile, which takes you through the differential diagnosis of 
alopecia, published as a picture multiple choice quiz so you can test yourself and record a CPD. There are also pharmacy updates, bronchodilators in wheezy under two-year-olds, pharmacological management of the obese child and the usual selection of excellent best practice and how to use articles. I'm Mark Beattie, thanks for listening. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.